Please welcome Nick Jeffries, Insights and Analysis at Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And uh, thank you for the Blue Tech team for organizing this wonderful event. Today, I want to tell, um, to echo uh, Paul's words from yesterday, a hopeful and optimistic story about some of the opportunities that exist in better ways of growing food. A relevant topic, I think, we are in the nation's spiritual home for plant growing. And of course, as I'm sure many of you know, already know, farming uses more fresh water than any other sector. Supporting effective farming is therefore supporting effective water management. But growing food in a better way has a raft of other systemic benefits. In 2017, Project Drawdown identified the 100 most powerful interventions to reverse global heating. Within the top 20, five related to energy production, yet eight related to food production, and four to land management. So the clear message is, having better ways, changing the way we produce food, changing the way we manage land, could be one of the most powerful things to address climate change. Before I go into a little more detail about some of the approaches that I've come across, uh, a little context. For the last uh, couple of years, um, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation has been applying circular economy uh, thinking, circular economy, which is based on three principles, designing out waste and pollution, keeping resources in use, and regenerating natural systems. We've been applying the circular economy thinking to the global food system. With the risk of giving you indigestion, I won't go into too many details, but, I think, you know, but I'll just give you the basic story. By 2050, there will be 2.5 billion more mouths to feed in the world. This is set against a background of shifting climate, shifting socio-economic trends. So our year-long analysis confirmed significant negative societal costs associated with the food system. Half of them... I think better, better known, we call them you know, consumption impacts, obesity, uh, malnutrition, type 2 diabetes, those kind of things. Uh, but m- perhaps more surprising, the same number of societal costs, equal in value, we calculate about sort of six, seven trillion, are associated with the way we produce food. So things like human health impacts associated with pesticides, um, uh, water and air pollution, and the diminishing potency of our antibiotics. But how to act? We decided to focus on cities. By 2050, 80% of food will pass through cities. But also, currently, only 2% of the resources that get discarded by cities are looped back into productive use. So for these reasons, we believe that city food actors could be very influential in driving change. And so over the, over the course of last year, we worked very closely with a big group, like over 100 um, uh, companies from the urban food uh, uh, value chain, including uh, with Suez. So thank you for that. They're one of our uh, lead partners on this project. And we came up with these three ambitions uh, which uh, these urban food actors could embrace uh, to, to, to create momentum to a healthier and more regenerative food system. I'm not going to go into too much details about this, you can get this report from our publications page on our website. But what I want to focus on for the rest of the talk is this, this ambition of sourcing food regeneratively. 
because I believe it is within this ambition that there are great opportunities for the blue tech community. So regenerative agriculture, how best to describe this? Well, my favorite current way is this. If you consider one acre of healthy soil, there is equivalent in weight to 12 yearling cows. It's about six tons. But an unhealthy uh, acre, you get about maybe half a ton, one yearling cow. To put it another way, that healthy farm is 12 times more productive in the engine room. And because of the benefits to soil structure, it can store up to a million litres of, of water. For soil-based growing, you know, key to unlocking its potential is building up organic content. Um, and of course, there's plenty of this pouring out of our cities. This feeds uh, the microbes, it activates the soil biology, and then we can allow nature, with its 3.8 billion years of R&D, to do the hard work for you. Uh, soil's so important. Uh, Paul mentioned earlier Leonardo da Vinci's fascination with water. He was also very fascinated with soils. I think his quote was something like, we know more about the celestial bodies in the heavens above than we do know about the soil beneath our feet. There are many great examples of large-scale transformation from conventional to regenerative on, uh, in broadacre farms. This is uh, the late Doug Tompkins farm in uh, northern uh, Argentina. Uh, when he took it over, the yields were crashing. It was addicted to chemicals. It was all over, had this soil erosion scars. Um, and so through a very um, diligent process of recontouring the land, creating these beneficial flow paths, um, feeding the soil biology, driving agrodiversity within a short five to seven years, he made it very, very productive and, and, and beautiful with many biodiversity benefits. He was very into biodiversity, uh, Doug Tompkins. What I What's going on at the other end of the scale, I think, is in many ways more interesting and important. Early on in our analysis, we came across this fact from the ETC group uh, that uh, smallholder farmers, they actually feed 70% of the world, but only use 30% of agricultural resources. They're a very important group, which, on the whole, farms effectively. However, they're also a very vulnerable group. Because of their location, they're at the, uh, the, to use another, the coal face of climate change. Um, but they also, because of their economic precariousness, they're often only two or three harvests away from disaster. Ironically, as a group of food producers, they also make up the majority of the 850 million people who are hungry in the world. So as a response to this, um, in India, there was uh, this, this movement called the Zero Budget Natural Farming Movement was developed. Uh, this came out of uh, southern India, and its main intention was to embed an approach that decouples smallholder farmers from the risk of crippling debt for, um, uh, due to sort of borrowing ahead of um, the plodding season uh, for expensive agricultural inputs, um, as well as address food security. The central pillar of ZBNF is the creation of this, it's kind of like a biostimulant. And it's created out of, it's a fermented out of uh, cow dung, cow urine, um, agricultural byproducts. Uh, I, I, I view it almost like a, as a kombucha for the soil. Um, 
and, and that goes in, you can coat seeds with it, and the other pillars are around mulching, um, sort of you know, water conservation, and more precise applications of water. So this movement has transformed the lives of high-risk farmers all around India. It's reduced their borrowing, um, it's increased yields and the nutritional content of crops, and it's created more healthier, more profitable, more resilient farm systems. So I think the opportunities here are manyfold. Natural systems such as ZBNF, and there are others around the world, have done very well at getting farmers out of this sort of high-risk zone. But the next step up Maslow, up the hierarchy of needs, is just to make their life a little easier. I once put an accelerometer on a treadle pump on a, in a farm in Ethiopia. This is not a treadle pump, this is a rope and washer pump, but the treadle pump. And I measured um, the average manual pumping. The, the treadle pump goes like this, you know, everyone's done that. The steps in the gym. Uh, over two weeks, the average daily pumping. It was four hours. Four hours of the step machine every day just to cultivate a 750 square meter plot. An incredible effort. I mean, on the plus side, he was the star player in the local football team, um, so there's a little bit of an upside, but, you know, my point is there are half a billion, 500 million potential customers for innovative small-scale systems to alleviate hardship, such as this example, uh, Future Pump. They come up with a low-cost solar irrigation pump, and there are many other examples. Not only the technology, but also smart circular business models to allow this technology to be accessible to people who can't afford an outright purchase. And of course, that also has the benefit of creating more utilization for that technology. And then, so having dealt with, you know, getting them out of the high-risk zone, alleviating the hardship, the next thing is to increase profits. In this kind of context, most of the food losses occur uh, post-harvest, pre-consumer, and the reason, storage distribution. So better cold, um, cold supply chains, preferably renewable energy uh, powered, could really contribute to this. So smallholder farmers, they are a very important group. We want them to thrive. They provide local food and the diversity of scales needed for a resilient food system. Reducing drudgery and increasing profits will help this happen. I want to talk about farmland restoration and sort of land restoration uh, more broadly. Reversing land degradation is one of the great challenges of our time. And of course, very closely linked with two of our mega crises, global heating and the massive, massive crash in wildlife populations that we're seeing around the world. In the next 30 years, we need to expand our cultivated area by about two times the size of India based on current uh, growing uh, approaches. But at the same time, an area greater than the size of England is being put out of production uh, because of degradation. One of the major contributors to that is the way we actually is the, is the agricultural uh, approaches. So this situation necessitates the worst, the most damaging thing we could ever possibly do in terms of lowering carbon emissions, expanding into our virgin natural lands, our savannas, our forests and jungles. But there are many examples of farmers that have actually rejuvenated land and you know, breathed life back into land that was given up as unproductive, or maybe wasn't even considered productive. Most of these approaches are labor intensive. 
So innovation that can help industrialize the process of land restoration has huge potential social and economic value in the future. Yakubo Sawadogo from uh, the Sahel region of Burkina Faso, uh, known as the man who stopped the desert. In the 70s, uh, Yakuba began experimenting with two types of farmer-managed um, uh, regeneration methods. They're sort of traditional technologies. There's hole, which is a, a sort of compost-filled pit, and these cordon pureur, uh, these sort of belts of stones. They both have the same principles, um, uh, that they maximise the use of limited water resources, uh, but also create areas where, areas where nutrients are collected. In these areas, in these fertile hotspots, plants and trees are, are planted, and they create this um, positive feedback loop where evapotranspiration and foliage falling onto the ground creates a condition for more and more growth. Sawadogo's forest is now one of the most fertile uh, and biodiverse in the whole region, providing climate-resilient food security by providing multiple crops even in times of drought. What does another land restoration product look like? Well, this is a nice crossover to Michael's world. The winner of a major uh, uh, biomimicry prize last year was a company called Nucleario, and they've created these individual 100% biodegradable uh, tree nursery units um, uh, based, inspired by the bromeliad plant. That is a bromeliad, I hope. Uh, and, uh, and what these do is they, they harvest dew, uh, collect beneficial microbes, and also provide a barrier to unwanted biology, uh, in this case, uh, leafcutter ants. But perhaps one of the most startling uh, examples of ecosystem restoration that I came across uh, was the farm that Carl Hodges set up in Eritrea in the late 90s, in the, in the sort of coastal arid uh, region of Eritrea. That's not it, by the way. Uh, Carl Hodges was an atmospheric scientist, and he worked on this, the famous Biosphere 2 project in the Arizona desert. But when he retired, he decided to explore new ways to pursue his favourite hobby, which was uh, creating abundance in inhospitable places. So Carl's um, integrated seawater system um, turns abundant resources, sunlight, seawater, desert, uh, into an array of different benefits. Lifting water from the Arabian Sea, uh, it passes through a number of, of uh, aquaculture and plant growing stages, uh, each, um, uh, each stage nourished by a flow of beneficial nutrients. Uh, this multi-species uh, system creates many revenue streams, hundreds of jobs, supports social revitalization, uh, provides a sanctuary for migratory birds, sequesters carbon, and just generally uh, produces the, uh, the conditions conducive for life and further economic activity. It's a very inspirational man, very inspirational project. He's now trying to replicate this model in the Sonora Desert. So these are some of the, just some of the opportunities that exist in just two areas of um, regenerative farming. Um, of course, you know, the type of farming you do is determined by the conditions. There are many, many more um, rotational uh, livestock, agroecology, uh, agroforestry, and within each of those different approaches, there are other opportunities. But I'd like just to finish with a story just to illustrate that it's not just technology and technique uh, that's going to drive this revolution. There is also an important role for finance. 
The city of Nairobi relies on the upper Tana River. This is uh, a picture of the, uh, the river basin uh, for 90% of its water. Hydro schemes and dams along the river also provide a lot of the, the electricity uh, for the city. However, in the last few decades, because of population expansion in the upper catchments, um, there's a lot more silt going into the river. There's huge amounts of silt, and this is the cause of unreliable power and water supplies in the city, but also very expensive desilting operations and downstream plant. So with this in mind, an NGO called the uh, Nature Conservancy, it's a US-based NGO, they set up the Upper Tanner Water Fund. The idea of the fund is that downstream users, city utilities and other downstream users, they pay into this fund, and then the money is used to, um, to educate and support, at the last count, about 25 farmers in the upper catchments in more conservation agriculture uh, techniques. As a, result, as a result of that, the farmer yields are going up as the soil fertility goes up, uh, but also they have extra revenue uh, streams through the crops that they use to stabilise the slopes, things like elephant grass, which they can use as cattle fodder. And of course, the downstream users, what they pay into the fund is much less than the money that they save for reduced uh, uh, silting. So I think this is a very good example. This fund, and there are others that exist to protect the city of Quito and Rio, is a great example of a financial mechanism to fund system thinking approaches to conservation, in which everyone benefits. And I believe the same rationale can be applied to regenerative agriculture. Not every farmer is as rich as the Tompkins family, and um, the margins in farming are often quite low, and uh, farmers can be, you know, are quite risk-averse group. So financial bridging mechanisms that allow them, give them the confidence to make the leap, uh, while at the same time um, enhancing by growing great food, but at the same time enhancing biodiversity, protecting ecosystem services, and sequestering carbon, I think would be very, very important in, in, in driving, as I was saying, driving this whole revolution. So hopefully I've demonstrated that farming does not have to be a zero-sum game. Um, you, you know, it is possible to produce food in a way that also provides this full array of systemic benefits, um, including biodiversity enhancement and also the very important uh, topic of sequestering carbon. So I'd just like to, you know, and as Matt Damon said yesterday, how lucky are you guys that you are around to make things better. So this is my call to action to the Blue Tech community, you know, grasp the opportunities to drive a more healthy and more regenerative food system. Thank you very much.